Welcome, everyone. I'm Joe McManus. Uh, I'm a partner with Carlton Fields Law Firm in Washington, D.C., and president of Carlton Fields' construction and real estate consultancy, Sentinel Consulting, LLC. Uh, the podcast today deals with converting office space to residential, um, called adaptive reuse or creative reuse. Uh, we believe this is a very timely issue of a particular concern to commercial property owners. Uh, according to an article in Construction Dive this last month, foreign investment last year on US commercial real estate totaled $70.8 billion. Of this amount, 21 billion was poured into multifamily properties. This was an increase of 6% for multifamily while office property investment dropped 13%. Commercial owners today are faced with new financial realities. Tenants' desire for less space and the shortage of housing provides new opportunities for landlords by converting their office space and their other hard assets to residential. Adaptive reuse is not a new concept. Warehouses to office space in an urban setting was the beginning and office to hotel conversions are growing. Now, however, office to residential and mixed use is a hot market where, for example, in Metropolitan District of Columbia, office workers abandoned downtown and mass and have yet to fully return. We'll be talking today about the opportunities and challenges for the commercial owner seeking to convert. We have today, and I'm, I'm very happy to have, Matt Dow, Senior Principal in the Structural Engineer Division of the Washington, D.C. Office of Simpson, Gumpert, and Hager, SGH. They're one of the most foremost structural engineering firms in the country. SGH is significantly involved in the design of structural systems and building enclosure modifications for renovations, tenant fit outs and adaptive reuse projects. Also today, I'm pleased to have Jack Borman. He's the managing partner with the architectural firm of BV, BKV Group, whose creative use and reuse projects include the conversion of office space, warehouse space, historical structures, and hotels to mixed use and multifamily living. So if we can, let's talk about opportunities in creative use. Um, Jack, if you could introduce yourself and um, tell us a little bit about you and then um, tell us about opportunities you see uh, coming down the pike. My name is Jack Borman, I'm the founding a partner of BKV Group, which is an architectural engineering interior design firm. And about 40% of our historic portfolio of projects has included repurposing various buildings, buildings that are 20 or 30 years old or buildings that are 200 or 300 years old. So it's been an exciting opportunity throughout my 40 year career to really see the evolution and the uh, very positive development of our historic buildings, uh, which are typically classified as 40 years or older, uh, to have a new role and a new life in our community and as a part of our culture to define our history and uh, to help us in, in doing that, it's been the ability to convert many of these buildings from their original uses you know, whether it's, as Joe said, whether it's warehouse or office or, or even manufacturing, milling, uh, to new uses for housing. And furthermore, what's specifically 
a kind of a major paradigm shift and opportunity is that downtown business areas, which were almost all offices and retail, uh, have gone through a change through COVID and through the work at home um, things that we've been dealing with to a potential to have more mixed use and have some of those office buildings converted into, uh, in, into housing, uh, senior, affordable, market rate for sale, uh, and, and to have that working together to define these urban centers as mixed use environments that include uh, the ability to live and work in the same neighborhood. So that's very exciting and it's a, 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 a very strong cultural growth for, for our country. Well, for, for my, from my perspective too also, it seems that um, residential has the ability to um, have flexible pricing. All right, and the rents, the rents can be raised as, as we go through this inflationary period where rather than having tenants locked into a five and 10 year um, lease of a commercial space, which may have been um, leased at a time when the, um, it was a buyer's market. Right? So it's a, there's a, certainly an economic benefit there. And what about, I also noticed in the, in the District of Columbia's task force um, they talk about entitlements and incentives, and um, they quote a number of them. Uh, for example, in the housing programs, how they, they can tap various, the housing production trust fund, local rent supplement programs, project-based housing subsidies, property tax abatements and grants. All of those seem to be on the table. Do you, do you see that in, in other cities around the, um, around the United States, Jack? Yeah, I'm, I mean, the, uh, the ability to have active urban centers that are 24-7 means that these office areas that typically down, downtown uh, have to have housing. And, and housing has become an economic engine for revitalizing many of these areas to, to have mixed use. And so cities have been sort of uh, creating, have been creating a, a incentive structure to, as, to, to help promote this. And uh, especially on the affordable housing side where, where they can provide tax relief or, or, or they can provide various types of, of support functions. Uh, oftentimes uh, converting a office building to, to residential costs just as much. And in some cases, if it's, if it's historic, possibly even more. So there are historic tax credits that are applicable to helping to finance the conversion. Uh, there's also uh, cities really are just motivated to create stronger mixed use neighborhoods and to have every neighborhood seem viable and, and fully functioning, which uh, if, if there's a great deal of vacancy in the downtown areas, there's less security. If you add housing, there's eyes on the streets 24 seven. So there's a lot of cultural benefits for city community building uh, with these conversions of office buildings into housing. Matt, tell us about yourself, if you would, and, um, and, and give us your thoughts about some the opportunities of uh, creative reuse. Sure. Thanks for having me here today, Joe. And uh, again, my, my name is Matt Dow. I'm a senior principal with Simpson, Comforts, and Hager, uh, structural engineer, uh, uh, practicing for uh, a little over 30 years now. And uh, you know, a large percentage of my business throughout my career has been focused on 
historic preservation and adaptive reuse of, of existing and, and many cases, historic buildings. Um, th this is an exciting topic to me. And I, I think from a number of perspectives, I guess, number one, from a sustainability perspective, uh, in, a, in a world now where we're focused on reducing carbon footprint and uh, you know, doing the right thing for the environment. Um, you know, the, the, the conversion of an existing building is, is just such a, such a sustainable concept. And uh, you know, I'd say there, there's no more sustainable building than an existing building. So uh, you know, to me, this is just a, it makes a lot of sense to, to, to do these types of conversions. Um, and particularly the conversion from office to residential uh, from a structural perspective is, is a very easy conversion to make. And a typical office building uh, may have been designed for you know, live loads in the range of you know, between 60 and up to 100 pounds per square foot you know, of structural loading. Uh, residential buildings uh, and current codes are required uh, to be designed for 40 pounds per square foot. So with that added uh, capacity, there, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and number one, the conversion is easy, but uh, there's opportunity for uh, say, at, you know, adding uh, amenity spaces in buildings, even, even adding uh, you know, additional stories to an existing building. So you, using maybe lighter construction, taking advantage of that loss of, of total live load uh, in, in an existing building. Uh, there, there's just some great opportunities there. Obviously, with some uh, you know, downsides or, or 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 considerations that we need to be careful to to uh, acknowledge. You know, obviously, increasing the height of a building means more wind load, maybe higher seismic load. Uh, so there's still intervention that may be required, uh, and, and you know, careful planning that's required uh, in those kind of circumstances. Um, but uh, it. I would say of all, all of the adaptive reuse and conversions uh, from one use to another that, that I've been involved with, I would say office to residential is probably the easiest and, and most economical conversions that we can make. Okay, Jack, you know, let's get sort of get in the shoes of one of our um, commercial owners here who's considering it, um, let us say, considering uh, converting their office building to, to, uh, to, to um, housing. Um, and I, I obviously, these got. I think many of the first decisions, or the first consideration, is the financial viability of the asset and what it's going to look like uh, after the conversion versus before. Um, can you give us your your thoughts on what what's the tipping point where uh, an owner who's considering conversions is going is going to go that way? Well, income versus cost. Uh, the um, the type of housing. Um, I mean, I mean, we've done student housing as a conversion. We've done affordable as a conversion, market rate as a conversion, for sale as a conversion, even some senior for conversion, although it's less. Uh, but so the type of housing and the income structure for the housing and the location of the building in relationship to that housing use. Um, uh, a, a, a historic building or a building over 40 years that has a great convertibility potential because of its location next to a campus um, is, a, is obviously a ma major driver. And then the type of housing that's in that is for students is going to be different than the type of housing that's going to be for a market rate project. So having some market study understanding 
for what the housing type is, is, is step one. Then step two is, is the assessment of, of the market for that. Uh, and, and once that's established, you still haven't really decided if it's a ground up or if it's a repurpose. So, so then the uh, step three is to assess very quickly the bones of the existing building to see how that might be converted for a market acceptable unit layout potential concept for the residents. And, and that's the critical step where you can look at the building and say that building, the bones of that building will allow me to have 300 units and, uh, and have an efficiency because sometimes historic buildings are not, or repurposed buildings from office to, for housing are not as efficient because of the size of the plate and, and potentially not being able to have a 85% floor plate efficiency. So, so from, from, from that standpoint, a very quick uh, space and, and unit layout study is, is, is critical Be, because then you, you, you've looked at, okay, this, this building is X width and, and Y length and the stairwells and elevator cores are positioned to provide either a good or a not so good layout for apartments. Most apartments are 25 to 35 feet deep. Most office buildings that are 40 to 60 years old are, are 90 to 100 or more wide and however long. Uh, the more historic buildings, you know, um, 80 years, 100 years ago uh, have actually smaller plates because they all relied on exterior windows for ventilation. And so you had E-shaped or, or L-shaped or U-shaped buildings that had large courtyards and those are typically 60 or 70, 50 to 70 feet wide, and those make beautiful housing conversions. So, but they may not have enough stairwells or they may not have enough, or they may, they may have too many elevators. So from that standpoint, that critical assessment of how it lays out for the type of housing, and then what are some of the critical items that would have to be changed uh, to accommodate the code requirements of housing. And, and once you do that assessment, you're, you're in a pretty good shape for the developer to, to have the numbers and the facts and the market assessment to, to know whether or not it's better to convert as opposed to demo and ground up. Okay. All right, so an owner having done the financial assessment and a, and a market assessment uh, pushes, the, pushes the go button here and says, okay, I'm, I'm going into, I'm gonna convert. And so Matt, tell us, okay, from a, um, a constructability point of view, a structural and engineering point of view, okay? What's the, um, what are the challenges that, that are gonna be faced and how, how does one go about that? Yeah, sure. And you know, Jack touched on this, that I, I mean, the first step is due diligence and understanding an existing building. And, and, and you know, early we'll do a feasibility study and uh, uh, due diligence or condition assessment to really understand the building Oftentimes, with historic buildings or uh, older buildings, we have we have no existing drawings, so we we know very little about it. Um, so there's a lot of upfront leg legwork and um, study that has to has to be done in order to really understand what a developer is getting themselves into. Um, you know, both from just understanding how the building works, but also uh, from a conditions perspective. You know, old buildings tend to uh, have uh, a number of you know defects or deficiencies or issues that have 
that that have uh, uh, have developed over over many years of, of of building use. So so really understanding some of those sort of hidden you know, hidden concerns uh, is, is very important uh, to, to address up front. Um, and you know a, a number of other issues. I mean, dealing with um, the assemblies, you know, the, the the floor floor assemblies, wall assemblies, understanding say fire resistance, you know, you know, acoustical performance. Um, you know, these these are these are things that we we need to focus on very early on, just to to understand what kind of cost implications there are. So, you know, dealing with existing floor penetrations and how how they get infilled, or how do we put new new penetrations through through uh, floor systems uh, appropriately. Um, acoustics is a big issue. I've run on a number run into on a number of conversions to residential. Um, residences tend to be much more sensitive to, to noise and acoustics and vibrations than say an office tenant uh, would, would be. And so often those buildings that were designed for office use or, or say industrial use or other use um, weren't, uh, they, they weren't designed with, with acoustics in mind. So often there may be treatments of, uh, you know, uh, Insulation or, or or floor surface treatments that that have to be uh, considered as, as part of these these kinds of projects. Um, obviously, you know, adapting an existing building for the new use, say a new new amenities, swimming pools, roof decks, pergolas, uh, uh, you name it. The, these are considerations we have to really understand you know, from a structural perspective. Um, you know, in a, a typical DC. Office building, the roofs and uh, have been designed for 30 pounds per square foot. But when you start talking about adding, you know, green roofs or amenities, uh, you know, the upgrades of those systems can be extremely complicated and 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 uh, cost prohibitive. Um, so understanding early on uh, how these buildings work and um, you know how they can be modified to to accept the new use uh, is, is critical to the su success of the project. We don't like to find out. In the middle of construction, that we need to reinforce parts of the building you know, to accommodate the new use. So we, we uh, that early planning up front is is uh, absolutely critical in these projects. I I just like to add that uh, the building codes for housing have some significant differences from the building codes for office. The uh, exiting requirements, uh, the uh, distances between stairwells, and, and and all of that for a corridor system that works for a lot of small apartments within a large floor plate. The uh, fire ratings uh, in, the, in the building, the amount of um, exterior ventilation that, you're, that we require, the mechanical electrical systems are much more focused on individual units rather than large spaces and suites and office buildings. So, so there's a lot of other code related issues that, that just simply have to be quickly assessed and the box checked to make sure that you're covering th those kind of costs. Yeah, Matt, and Matt, you mentioned roof <laughs> roof systems. You, you and I have gone down <laughs> on a forensic analysis for one of my clients, a hotel owner here in DC. Um, and uh, the roof, um, you, you, you determined that, that they, uh, the roof was had a, had a, um, a, new, a new roof created a little wind, wind load issue. Yeah, yeah, that was an overbuild. So they added a penthouse and an upper amenity on an existing building. And yeah, the the sale area that was 
added or you know, the wind sail area was significant enough to, to cause performance problems in the building. And it was unfortunate. Um, it's just something that wasn't considered. And, you know, a lot of these old buildings, um, it, it's arguable whether they even have a lateral system or how they were, how they were even designed originally. And, and so that there's a, a lot of thought that really needs to go into, you know, understanding how we're changing the buildings and, you know, the, how we're, we're applying new loads uh, to them. So, you know, they, that, that was a serious issue and a, a serious concern, you know, yeah, we started off, it was a window cracking issue. It turns out that the building was actually twerking as a result of the wind upload. There. Exactly. So that's that's obviously what consideration, as you mentioned, that, you know, a roof has got to now have a different, you know, carry HV, heavy HVAC equipment. It may have a pool up there. It may have some green space that they've had to install. So there's a lot of structural issues, I take it, um, with, um, with the roof conversion aspect. Yeah, and I, I would say, Joe, to sort of, to add to that, uh, a key issue is is having the right the right uh, uh, experts involved in these projects, both from a design perspective, also from a construction perspective. Um, uh, renovating historic buildings or existing buildings is not something that necessarily every construction firm has experience doing, and and engineers and architects as well. Um, so have, having uh, key players at, at, at the table that have experience with these types of projects um, is, I'd say, worth its weight in gold. Um, and and I, I think it's just, it's incredibly important to, to have, the, have the, the, the right experience in dealing with these, these projects um, because they, they, can, they can be very complicated uh, uh, and uh, uh, very costly um, if, if you're not prepared and have, have experience with these types of projects. And one, one thing that was mentioned earlier was the due diligence aspect of, of really knowing what, your, what the building bones are really about. And, and the, the most frequent mistake is to go into an office building that still has all the ceilings and all of the other things that are hiding you know, what's in the building that you can't see. And also the uh, as-built conditions of stairs, elevators, and and the overall structure that you know, doing digital uh, uh, imaging of the of the building structure and and getting accurate as belts because housing is a very especially with fair housing requirements, you know, you know there are very specific layout requirements for bathrooms that if if the beam is in the wrong place and you're trying to build a bathroom to meet ADA code compliance and the plumber moves the 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 toilet five inches over to one side, that entire stack could, could not meet code compliance. So, so there are real needs to really know what the bone structure of the building is to be able to lay out the housing because housing is a lot more repetitive. You make one mistake, it could be 200 times. Yeah, and you're touching on this, um, uh, this issue. What about, the, the architectural other architectural challenges uh, with regard to, you know, for example, creating new space, <laughs> new space, because you're, you're dealing with an existing footprint and now you're, you know, you're not starting from scratch. So it's gotta be challenging and, and exciting at the same time. Well, the, it is. And, um, it, you know, the, the exciting part is to take a beautiful art deco building that, you know, is probably 70 years old 
that might even be vacant for a period of time or at least way underutilized and, and, and bringing that back to a viable new life. And you know, you know, that's the end result. The, the excitement is, to, is the challenge of figuring out how to make it successful as a residential environment with great unit plans, um, you know, great corridors and access areas, great amenity spaces, taking advantage of rooftops, uh, and, it, it, the, and, and understanding the assets in the building, that they may have nice lobbies that you can preserve and make that an interesting story. Some of the lobbies that we preserved, we couldn't afford to build again because they were so ornate uh, and they became jewels within the contemporary remainder of the building. So, so it was really a, a, an, an exciting aesthetic opportunity to use history as a artful story for the home that the people live in that occupy an apartment. And, and, and so in a new building, you have to spend lots of effort to figure out what is our story? And a lot of times these historic buildings, they have a story that you begin with that really is in, in uh, sort of energizing everybody on the team, the interior designer, the architect, the structural engineer, the, the builder. And, um, and you know, that makes it exciting. So I take it you echo Matt's thought about making sure that you've got, you've got the experienced designer who's got down this road, been down this road, before and, and the contractor who likewise has, has got good experience in historical. For sure, be, 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 because you're, you, these buildings, I, I mean, how many times have you heard the story, I bought an old house and it became a money pit, you know? So, so the concept of buying an old 300,000 square foot building and putting 500 units in it could be a very big money pit. So, so the point being is to, to really spend the time to, to, to work the issues and to uh, have a team that's been down the track before, because experience means I don't do that again, because we all learn through you know, negative experiences uh, and education is the positive side, experience is the negative side. So, so from that standpoint, with, with anything, it's, it's, it's always important to hire someone who understands some of the challenges before they become problems. Okay, let's uh, let's look into your crystal ball, Jack, if we can. Um, are we uh, are we are we just in a in a unique period, or are we in in, in a trend? Are we in a uh, evolution here for uh, creative reuse, as you see it? Well, we're 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 definitely in a spike. Uh, in in my entire career, forty five years. We've, we have moved, we were, at the beginning of my career, we were done with the urban renewal, tear down our historic fabric. And ever since then, it's been this, on, this continual evolution of preserving history because it's a part of who we are. And buildings are symbols of that history, just like the Pantheon, or just like uh, uh, Greek historic architecture is a part of their culture. You know, we're a new culture, and we're, we've learned to, to, to keep what we've got more and more, okay? And so that's been an inclining value uh, and, and government has through historic districts and through things like the National Historic Registry have, have reinforced what is, what are we gonna keep and why should we keep it? 
But this last three years, or this COVID issue and the paradigm shift for workplace has created a spike. And, and I think that spike is, is the repurposing of our downtown urban environments by repurposing office buildings into different live work. I mean, there are office buildings where, where you could live on a few floors and then you, you could go to work on the, in the same building on a few other floors. So there's lots of rethinking going on about live work uh, and, 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 and how that comes about. And, and, and that's a spike in the whole re, repurposing issue. And quite, quite frankly, it's, 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 it's an exciting era. Matt, what's your assessment here or your, or your predictions for the future of creative reuse? Sure. Yeah, yeah I, I would say you know, similar to Jack, you know, I, I've spent uh, the majority of my career focusing on building renovations, uh, you know, historic preservation and adaptive reuse. And I've seen a shift uh, probably midway through my career, I, I would say that uh, where the preservationists and the development community stopped fighting with each other and started collaborating and working together uh, to, to do uh, some incredible things. And you know, I, I think the support between um, the you know, development uh, professionals and, and preservation uh, the, you know, preservation uh, experts, um, it's, it's become very clear to me that, um, that this, this shift has happened, you know, this shift has occurred. I think we all understand and appreciate uh, what a historic building or an existing building can, can bring Bring to uh, uh, to to a new uh, a, a building and its new purpose. Um, you know, it, it's very exciting, and I I'd say in my uh, it, it, certainly in my own practice currently, um, you know, primarily the folk my focus has been renovations and uh, adaptive reuse and preservation work. As of late, it, it's a the market is very strong. Um, and uh, you know, just we we see a, a, a great future in the industry, and obviously in a city like Washington D.C., where 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 my office is, and where most of my other offices are around the country, uh, they're just incredible, uh, an incredible stock of historic properties, and uh, I just think an endless supply of opportunity um, you know, for this industry, and so I, I'm excited about it, and. Um, you know, just uh, I'm, I'm fortunate. I, you know, I get to do this for a living, and it's it's a lot of you know, it's a lot of fun. It's very exciting, and I get to work with just incredible professionals uh, in our industry that uh, we do, we enjoy collaborating with. You know, we're, we're all very fortunate, and I think have a great great future ahead of us. Yeah, I'm I'm likewise excited from my from my perspective. You know, with the level of cooperation between commercial owners and managers and the the governments, you know, like the District of Columbia, they're they're pouring ideas into incentives and entitlements, okay, and changes in the building code, zoning. Uh, I think that's very, I think that's very refreshing because they recognize that this is this is the future, and they and they want to um, they want to preserve and also satisfy social issues like multifamily housing, a big issue. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure it's in most of the other states you mentioned as well as um, at Washington D.C. Um, but we're sort of at the end of the, our time period here. A couple of things that's sort of clear from, I guess, from an architectural uh, and, a, and a constructability structural point of view, engineering point of view, is you need, you know, an owner's got to do the right financial assessment. 
of the asset. They've got to do the right market assessment right, before they get going. And then, and then they have, then they obviously have to do a conditions assessment and, and then bring to bear if the, if the tipping point goes towards conversion, they got to bring together the right team with the experience to, to, to make it a reality. Um, but again, I want to thank uh, Jack and Matt for being here today. And I want to certainly thank the audience. Um, if any of our uh, listeners have any further questions or would like to talk with Matt or Jack, um, they're available. Uh, and of course, we're available at Sentinel Consulting also. So um, do reach out to us when you have, you're thinking about creative use and you have um, questions that, that you want, want to have answered or uh, you're actually made the decision and you're moving down the pipe um, to, help, uh, to help you put together a team. Okay, thanks again for everybody for being here. Thanks again, Matt and Jack, appreciate it. Bye-bye now. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.